This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now the Lord asks these questions in verse 17. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. So he looks at the scribes, like we said, and he calls them a faithless and perverse generation. True faith, true faith centers on Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. Faith is, just like the hymn puts it, really can't put any better than this. My faith has found a resting place. It's not in device, it's not in creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds shall plead for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him, he'll never cast me out. See, that's phrase, my faith has found a resting place. It paints a picture of the dove that was searching for a nest to rest in when Noah let it loose out of the ark in Genesis 8, 8, Genesis 8, 8. And Noah sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into the, in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. See, that dove is a picture of our souls. We're like that dove. At first, we go into the world and we look for a nest to rest our souls in. And our experience is frustration. And we return. We didn't find any rest for our souls in the world. Just like the dove, our experience was like the hymn Another hymn, I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame and nothing satisfying there I found. So the dove returned. And then we saw Christ. Then we saw him for the first time and we were interested. 
Well, we didn't actually put our faith and trust in him at first, just like the dove who returned back the second time. And she was interested. She had this little, little olive branch in her mouth there and carried it back to Noah. And then it happened, like the hymn says, the hymn goes on to say, I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame and nothing satisfying there I found, but to the blessed cross I came, one day I came, where springs of living water did abound, drinking at the springs of living water, happy now am I. My soul they satisfied, drinking at the springs of living water, wonderful, bountiful supply. See, that was the happy day. That was the happy day when Jesus washed all our sins away and we put our complete faith and trust in him. That's when our faith found a resting place, just like the dove who didn't return anymore to Noah because she found a resting place. She found a nest. That's Christ is the nest for our souls. So he says, faithless generation. So then he says, perverse generation. Perverse just means going the wrong way. It's like reverse, you know, perverse, going the wrong way going the wrong way. So when Jesus looks at the scribes, he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, he's calling them faithless because they had no reliance on Christ. He was not their, the nest for their souls because they didn't believe that he was God and they didn't believe that he was wanting to help. He had compassion and they didn't believe that he could help. So he calls them faithless. He calls them perverse because he's saying, you're going the wrong way. You're just going the wrong way. Romans 10.3, Romans 10.3 describes the way they were going in. Romans 10.3 says, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. It's a very, very good description of perverse going the wrong way when it says going about to establish their own relationship. And it means they really are going about keeping all the Sabbath laws that are written in the Bible, and then some, and going about with the kosher laws and going about with many other laws and rules and regulations, all designed to establish their own relationship, going about to establish their own righteousness, I mean to say. Going about to establish their own righteousness. That's the wrong way. That's the perverse way. Because a sinner needs salvation through faith, not an establishment of a self-righteousness through works. And then in total frustration, describes the Lord asks the question in verse 17, how long am I going to be with you? How long shall I suffer you? And by asking those questions, how long shall I be with you? The Lord is asking how long that he should be with them because the scribes were showing no evidence at all it's starting to respond to Christ. It's starting to come to Christ. And so he's asking, how long am I going to suffer you? How long he should tolerate their opposition, their venomous uh, questions of doubt to everything he's doing, left and right. So in verse 17, the Lord asks these two questions. He says, how long, how long? And as a matter of fact, there's really a third question that's, that hasn't been spoken. But, well, it hasn't spoken. He actually... Like I said, it's in Mark 9. Mark 9, 19, he asked this third question, how long question of the Father, Mark 9, 19. He answered him, Mark 9, 19, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? They brought unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. He fell on the ground, wallowing, foaming, and he asked his father, how long has it been, how long ago is it ago since this time, how long is it ago since this came unto him? In other words, how long has this been going on? And he said, of a child. So the third question 
The third how long question was, how long has the boy been in this state? How long has this been going on? His father, I don't say as a boy, how long is his son? And the father responds, a very long time since he was a child. Let's just call it for all his life. So these threes, how long questions are very searching because they're designed to cause people to stop and think about it. How long? I mean, to the Lord's question, how long questions were focused on the future, how long shall I, how long shall I? And one of them, how long to the Father, it's focused on the past. So he's got two questions, how long for the future? He's got one question, how long for the past? Kind of like looking at a gas gauge on your car, a gas tank meter. You know, when you look at that gas tank meter, what do you do? You, you see the needle, you look above, you look below the needle, right? <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> and, you know, you look below and you see how much gas he got left for the future. And you look above and you see how much gas he used already. That's what you do. So his first how long question was for the future. And it's really a question of how much time's left? How much time's left? Where he asked the last, those scribes, those scribes are lost, 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 lost. And he asked those lost scribes, like he asked every person, how much more time do you think you have that I'll be here with you and you'll have an opportunity to come to me, to accept my invitation and become my child of God? So with that question, the Lord is saying that, you know what? There's a bottom of this gas gauge, of this gas tank meter. It's got a big E on it at the bottom. It means empty, as in no more, as in not of us, as in when it's gone, it's gone. And that's true in life. It's not a gas tank gauge, gas tank meter. It's the days of our life meter. It's the days of life meter. And above that days of life meter, that needle is the number of days that life has been lived. And below that days of life meter needle there is the number of days left for a life to live. And that's what the days of life meter is all about. It shows how many days of life has been used up and how many days are, are left uh, on earth. Well, only thing it's not calibrated. We don't get numbers. We just see the needle. That, and at the bottom of that days of life meter, there's not an E, there's a big D. It stands for die. And the Bible's referring to that days of life meter in Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27, when it says, it's appointed unto men once to die and after this to judgment. And can you imagine a person who gets into a car and just drives that car and never looks at the gas gauge? You know, he, and then all of a sudden, the, you know, the car stopped. He's surprised and he says, what happened? And then he looks at the gas gauge and he sees the, the needles on E. It's on empty. And then he says, oh, I should have been looking at the gas gauge because when you're focused on the gas tank meter, you think of where you want to go with that limited amount of gas in the tank. And you don't drive around in circles and then try to figure it out because you got a limited amount of gas in the tank. And so a driver, it gets taught from the beginning. He says, you keep your eye on that gas tank meter because you're going as far as that gas is. And in the same way, the Bible says we need for God to teach us to keep our eye on the days of life meter in Psalm 90, verse 12, Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And this is what the two questions of the Lord is all about when he asked the scribes in verse 17, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? And with these two questions, the Lord is teaching the scribes, look at the days of life meter and see how long you have an opportunity to come to Christ and be saved from your sins. 
and see how much time you have left. And in those two questions, Christ is asking, really, he's asking, why? Why? Why have you not come to Christ to be saved from your sins? What are you waiting for? Asked Jehovah Jesus in Ezekiel 18.31. Ezekiel 18.31. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. Why will ye die, O house of Israel? And then in Ezekiel 33.11, Ezekiel 33.11, say it to them, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Dying without Christ, being cast into hell to suffer for eternity is 100% totally unnecessary because God has done something that it doesn't have to be. Deuteronomy 30, verse 9. Deuteronomy 30, verse 9. God said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. It is so unnecessary for a person to die without Christ and be thrown into hell. It's so unnecessary. So the question comes with this how long and why is, why not come to Christ? How long are you going to not come to Christ? Just like Elijah asked Israel, in 1 Kings 18, 21, 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. That's the worst answer that a person can give. The people answered him, not a word. That's the worst answer a person can give to the question, how long before you accept Christ? And the worst answer is not yet. That's the worst. Because it's the worst answer for a person can give to the question, why not come to Christ now? And the worst answer is not yet. And the Lord asked the father of this demon-possessed boy, he said, how long is it since this came unto him? He said, of a child. And the Lord looked at the boy and then asked the, he asked the father, he says, how long has this boy been in the state or this man or wherever he is? It's really a question. How long has all this been stuff been going on? How long have you been doing this? A believer starts out his life in Christ, and he's got the bloom of his first love. He's really in love with Christ, and the Bible is, oh, the Bible is like alive. That's a hot book, you know? And prayer is, oh, it's so fervent, and it's purposeful, and it's intention. You listen to a pray, and you think that God is standing right in front of him, and He's laying it all out there and answers to prayer. He's on the search every day. He's looking for these answers to these prayers. And when he finds them, he's so exhilarated with the answer. And, and Sunday, oh, Sunday, that's the best day of the week. That's church. Yeah, that's the way it starts out. But then it's, uh, you know, I'm a little too busy to read the Bible today. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow. You know, I'll pray later. Just not right now. Sunday again, do I have to go to church? And then those days in that state, they morph into weeks. And those weeks morph into months. And those months morph into years. And the Lord asks the same question. How long? How long since you left your first love? Just like the hymn says, the old hymn, old song. How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and you told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? 
How long has it been since your mind felt at ease? How long since your heart knew no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew he cared for you? See, that's all these how long questions. Well, at this point, everything has failed for the father. His son is just has not gotten better on his own. He hasn't grown out of it. The disciples have not been able to cure his son. He's in a real state of depression, desperation when he comes and kneels down before Jesus. And now he gets this one simple instruction in verse 17. And it's, it's like, that's it. And it's, bring him hither to me. That says the same thing in Mark, bring him to me. It's just so simple. Just bring the boy to you, bring them the son to you, this demon-possessed son, bring him to Jesus, bring him to Christ. It's the one simple solution that was the remedy. It's the one simple solution in our lives. Just bring to Jesus, and it was all so quickly over. It's amazing. So long, but verse 17, Jesus rebuked the devil. He would depart out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. A lifetime of misery, a lifetime of agony is over just like that, just from bringing to Jesus. So quick. It made the Lord's questions all the more penetrating. You know, Mark 9, 21, Mark 9, 21. He asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And then Matthew 17, 18, Matthew 17, 18, Jesus rebukes the devil. He departs out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. How long did the child suffer? Mark 9, 21, of a child, a lifetime. How long did it take to cure him? Matthew 17, 18, from that very hour. And we can hear the father say to himself, what did I wish? Why did I wait so long before coming to Jesus? I've heard of him, been around. And that same question, a safe person asks himself, why did I wait so long before coming to Jesus? Okay, now, the sun is cured, the healing is complete, it's over, a lifetime of agony is in the past, in the history. Jesus has delivered this son, and the father is relieved. And now it's Mark's account that really tells us something very interesting. A little note, Mark 9.25, Mark 9.25. When Jesus saw that the people came right together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him. He entered no more. The spirit cried, rent him sore, came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. And here's the little note. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. That little note says so much. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. That little detail shows us how this healing was not a cold, sterile, okay, next, you know, job's finished, let's move on. It wasn't that way for the Lord. The Lord, he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to touch the son. He didn't have to take him by the hand. He didn't have to raise him up, but he did. And the fact that he did shows that how personally the Lord was involved how much the Lord was involved in this. This was a very emotional time for the Lord. He was deeply moved by all this scene. Mark 9, 20, Mark 9, 20, when he saw the tearing of him and the falling on the ground and the wallowing and the foaming, the mouth, he was pained at the sight of this destruction. Just like the Lord is, was pained at the sight of how we had destroyed our lives by sin. And the Lord had compassion on this son, the Lord had compassion on the father. And when the Lord fully entered into this pain is when he said, how long has this been going on? 
so that he could feel the pain of how long it's happened. And at last, he heals the son. At last, he has cast out the devil. And the reason the Lord took this son by the hand and lifted him up is because he wanted to show by this act how much he loved that son and how much he loved that father and how much he delighted to be able to present what was ruined as now repaired. You know, kind of like if somebody brought you a broken vase or something like that and you got your super glue out and you put it all there and then you said, hey, golly, you, you, wouldn't give that up. you wouldn't give that up for anything. That's going to be your reward. How much the Lord delighted in redeeming, in restoring, and in rescuing, and this is what he came to do, and that's why his last word before he died on the cross was accomplished, asa, finished, there, did what I came to do, done. And when the Lord took that son by the hand and lifted him up, presented him to the, the, the son of the father, it was all a grand, here he is, health restored, and that's the picture we have of Christ when he does the same thing for each one of his children as he brings them up out of the grave into heaven, up from death to life to the skies, because that's just who Christ is. Now, this leaves the disciples with this question, and they don't know. So they ask him in verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said to them, because you're unbelief. Verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, say to this mountain, it's probably pointing to the Mount of Transfiguration. Mountain, remains thence the yonder place that will remove, nothing shall be impossible unto you. How by it? This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fast. He says, the reason you couldn't do it is because you got the same disease the Father does, unbelief. Because you're unbelief, it says in verse 20. In other words, this is a challenge of faith. It was a challenge of faith for the Father. It's a challenge of faith for you boys as well. It's a challenge of confidence. The challenge for the disciples and for the fathers, just how much do you really believe that Jesus is God? Just how much do you really believe that Jesus is the Lord over the devil and all the demons, including this one? Just how much do you believe that Jesus really wants to see people saved from demons? Just how much do you believe that Jesus uh, it was giving uh, a power over the demons? But nevertheless... Even though so, all of that, the Lord spoke about this demon as being a certain kind of demon, which was more difficult to cast out. And this kind of demon, he said, be cast out by nothing except prayer and fasting. Verse 21, verse 21. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. This kind, he's saying, it takes a more intensive prayer. This kind takes fasting. What is it about fasting? Fasting weakens the body. Take it from me, I never fast, and then you can see that. It weakens the body. It makes a person less reliant on self and more reliant on God. That's what fasting does. Now, we don't know about all the different kinds of demons and what he's talking about, and we don't need to. All we need to know is that whatever kind of demon this was and whatever kind of problem we may have, the remedy is always the same. And it's verse 17, verse 17, bring him hither to me, let me do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus. Thank you for sending him. Thank you we get to see him and be thrilled by him. Help us to take away messages from this passage in Jesus' name, amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.